joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. The Advent candle that we have lit for today and that we are reflecting upon is that of joy. Joy is the theme of this cherished Christmas carol. Joy to the world. This theologically rich and favorite tune has become a favorite around the world this time of the year. Even in public places, you, you would find throughout department stores and shopping malls and in restaurants, and as you're browsing the clothing section of your favorite store, you might hear on the music system, Joy to the World. And I believe it is just testimony that people like to think on topics such as hope and love and joy and, and peace. These are pleasing things to, to think about. How we can have hope in our life and love and joy and peace. And these are things that we all want to have in our lives. Throughout the history of musical masterpieces such as Joy to the world. There have been few songs that, are, that have wed uh, theology and music together so well. Joy to the world is one of those. Handel's Messiah would be another one of those. Penned many years after Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the world, Handel's masterpiece is composed and written strictly around the word of the Lord. For instance... After the intermission in Handel's Messiah, a course from Psalm 24, verse 7 through 10 states this. It says, Lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Why? He's the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle, lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Why? He's the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Handel's Messiah, this particular section reflecting on the psalm, is written in such a way that it reflects a catechism of sorts, asking a question and following with the response of that question, who is the King of glory? Why? He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord strong and mighty. But what we find in such theologically rich songs of old is a mixture of God's love. We find a mixture of his justice, we find a mixture of his sin and repentance. Any robust song worth its salt will have God's love, justice, sin, and repentance thread throughout the melody and throughout the lyrics. Such is the case with joy to the world. In fact, there is a line in the song that I want to reflect upon, so I'm glad that I did not forget this line, even though I left out the fourth verse 
uh, putting, in the, putting in the lines. I'm glad I didn't forget this particular verse because that would have put me in an awkward situation since this particular line of the song is going to help us ask and answer the question, how far is the curse found? How far is the curse found? And the line in Joy to the World that helps us line up this question is this. No more let sins and sorrows grow. No thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow. Far as the curse is found. There is a repetition of that particular question because the author wants you to answer and to ponder and to think upon just how far does the curse flow. Now, the story behind Joy to the World is grounded in a theological testament of the providence of God. Try saying that three times fast. A grounded theological testament to the providence of God. In fact, in 1719, uh, Isaac Watts wrote the words of Joy to the World as he was living in an, ab- in an abbey estate right near, near London. He wrote these words which are centered in in the 98th Psalm. The 98th Psalm. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Psalm 98. And as we do so, let's stand together as we read this Psalm together. These nine verses, Psalm 98, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Let's stand as we read the Word of God together. The Bible says in verse 1, It is a psalm, a song to the Lord. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Lord, we ask You to bless this reading of the Word to our ears and to our hearts. Father, I pray for the one here today who has came into the house of the Lord and they do not have a joyful song to sing it. Seems that they have lost the joy of their salvation. I pray that this message today would rekindle that joy. Father, I pray for the one who is hurting and suffering today, God, that you will be the one who lifts them. Father, I pray that you would give us a new song. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated.
So in this particular psalm, we are going to work this song in an inductive and deductive way, meaning that we're going to work it backwards and forwards. What we find in this psalm is an appropriate reaction to worship to the Lord. So we sing to God. We give Him praise with joy in our heart. In this psalm, we have such imperatives, meaning do it. We have imperatives as sing to the Lord. Preacher, I can't sing. Well, hum. (laughs) Make a joyful noise. Sing to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to, to the Lord. We even have reminders such as sing praises with instruments. Sometimes we like to do songs a cappella, and that is good. But it's nothing like hearing an instrument to back some vocals and hear people singing to the Lord when we can. We have the notion that creation itself is is offering praise to its creator as as the rivers clap together and give praise to their God. Moreover, to answer the question of the depth and the reach of the curse, which will be our attempt this morning in a sermon entitled, Far as the Curse is Found, this indescribable gift. To answer the question, how far does the curse stretch? Well, to answer this question, I believe that we must rewind to the beginning of humanity We must rewind to where we find rebellion and sin against God. So if you're students of God's Word, you already know where we are going on this journey. In the narrative of the fall, when Adam and Eve first rebel and sin against the Lord God. This is said in Genesis 3.15, which might I remind you, Genesis 3.15 is what what we might call a pre-gospel prophecy. This is before the fullness of the good news have gone for it. It is a prediction that there is salvation coming. But this is what is said about the curse. Beginning at verse 15, the Bible says that the Lord says, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the command The tree which I've commanded you that you should not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." Now, the curse has affected every facet of life. The reason we have hospice care, the reason we have uh, people who are at the end of their life, we have suffering, we have disease, we have civil unrest, 
uh, is testament to the fact that the curse, the fall, has affected every facet of life. From the earth that we walk, the thorns and thistles therein, to the simplest things such as relationships. Why do you think it is such a struggle in the society that we live in today that there is sexual brokenness, that there is broken relationships? Why do you think that we deal so, so roughly with, with unforgiveness and we struggle with relationships? But the most important consequence is that of sin and separation from the Lord God. Because of the fall, our relationship with the Holy God has been strained and has been broken. If you remember, it is said of our first parents in the Garden of Eden that they walked with God in the coolness of the day. They had relationship with Him, but that has been broken and we cannot gain it back in our own power. So we need a Redeemer. No amount of generosity that I have in giving, no amount of good works and good deeds will ever mend this brokenness. And because of the fall and the effects of sin, that affects everything, the Lord had to display and unveil His law. So if we're walking through Scripture from Genesis, we find ourselves in the book of the Revelation. God had to unveil to give revelation of His law so that in some way we might be able to, quote-unquote, be holy before God or justified. You might recall uh, in Exodus chapter 20 what we might call the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the moral law of God. This law is a collection of imperatives that demonstrates God's character and how one could be if they followed the law righteous. It was initially given to His people so that they might be a light to the nations, so they themselves could reflect the holiness of God. There is only one God. You don't have idols. Do not kill, steal, murder, covenant. Don't lust after your neighbor's things or his wife. Do not lie. Keep the Sabbath. They are given so that one might be justified in the eyes of God. But there is just one problem. The commandments of God act more like a blueprint than a remedy. No one can follow the law to the letter. So God must intervene in more extreme ways. So a sacrifice must be made. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. So a sacrifice must be made. In fact, Galatians 4 and 4 will tell us. In fact, this will be where we pick up next week. Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you are an heir, an heir through God. So, how far can the, fir- the curse be found? Throughout the whole world and in every fiber of life itself has been affected. And so, in order to eradicate such a damaging thing as sin, there was a demand and outcry for something extraordinary. R.C. Sproul, who died in 2017, a Presbyterian theologian and pastor uh, who began Ligonier Ministry, uh, R.C. Sproul, theologian, had this to say of the reach of the curse. R.C. said, How far do we go and still find the curse? You cannot get beyond the boundaries of the curse because in the fall of man, the whole creation groans together in travail. Why is nature groaning? Because the whole universe is under a curse because of sin. That's how far the curse is found. But the extent of the redemption that was wrought by Christ, who came, was to reach the entire boundaries of where the curse is found. Where the curse is found, Christ is found to redeem us from that curse. My friends... My brothers and sisters in Christ, that is why we can sing of the depth and scope of joy to the world. The Lord has come. Someone give God praise. But let's examine the psalm. Which is the inspiration for the hymn, Joy to the World. Verse 1 The author says this is a psalm, a song. He says, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. His glory. Jesus died on the cross, I hope you know, for his glory. So what is this new song? Maybe it's a song that no one has heard. (laughs) What new song would this be? Now, I will submit to you that this new song is projected in Scripture. We see it in the Torah, the song of Moses, a new song. We see it in the book of the Revelation, the song that the saints of the Lord will will sing. What is this song that is a new song. I submit to you that this song is one that speaks of a realized salvation. See, because the better position that you and I have than the author of Psalm 98 is that we can, on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, we can sing victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, in a realized way. Even in the world where it is becoming more difficult to be amazed, it seems like we have been desensitized to things that at one time made our senses tingle, if you will. And in all of that, God is still amazing and God is still at work. 
Maybe the problem is we have lost our wonder, we have lost our awe in the work, in the work of Jesus. Maybe part of the reason we have lost our awe of God, our wonder, is that many times we're too busy patting our own ego. For instance, somebody might say, well, I'm mad at the church. I'm mad at people in the church in one breath. And then in the second breath, say, I know we're all not perfect. Okay, I get it. All right, we expect the church to be perfect, but we aren't. Maybe the problem of losing this wonder is that we're too busy trying to puff ourselves up in some type of self-righteous, egotistical, pharisaical way. You know how you get the wonder and all of Jesus back? Read God's Word, forgive those who need to be forgiven, and serve Him. Now, there's multiplicity of, of ways to get that wonder. If we're going to start, that's somewhere to start, isn't it? That's a good place to start. As John Piper would say and many others, preach the gospel to yourself daily. We need to hear about the resurrection every day. We've lost the wonder. We've lost the awe in the work of Jesus. But let me tell you this. Our Lord coming to robe himself in flesh, putting on a human body as God-man, living a perfect, sinless life, and offering himself up for a ransom, then raising again is certainly a marvelous work. But what can you also find in Psalms? Well, what you find in this particular Psalms, and many like Psalm 98, is a term that we use. This term is anthropomorphic language. Of course, anthros meaning man, morph turning into, so we have turn. We use Language to try to understand God. It isn't that God has to understand us. God has condescended down to our level so we can understand something about who He is. So we'll use language like the arm of the Lord was against them or the hand of God lifted them up or we might say that His face was to or against His people. And so it is in this case. As far as the curse is found... As far as the curse is found, so should the song we sing to the Lord for His salvation be found as well. As far and as long as the curse will stretch through the cosmos, so should our song for His salvation be sang. Not just on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Not just... When we meet at 10 a.m. in the morning singing joy to the world and then the rest of the week we act as if we've ate a bushel of persimmons and I'm not, I'm talking about sour. The verse 2, the Lord has made his salvation known. He has revealed 
His righteousness in sight of the nations. Two words there to take note of is that He has made known and He has revealed. This is, this is the core of Revelation. God has unveiled. God has made His salvation known. And all throughout history, God has displayed His glory to the surrounding nations. The Lord has used Israel to demonstrate and to show His mighty works. There was a time in Israel's history where the nations trembled at the name of Yahweh. Think of Jonah as he was heading to Nineveh and as he disclosed who he was and disclosed his God. The people trembled. They knew the name of God. They knew the name of Yahweh. So God has demonstrated his power in such a a way that it is unmistakable. Even the name of God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the Creator, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, was made known and feared amongst the nations. And and today, not so much. God has brought His people from out of bondage in the Exodus, we read today, in Sunday school. He led them into a promised land. He established them as a people, not for their own glory, but for His Glory, He established a people to keep His covenant so that all families of the earth would be blessed as Messiah would come, die, and rise again. So it's for His glory, for the ultimate glory of Christ. You talk about a long-term plan. People like to hear those terms today. What is your long-term plan? His salvation is known to to be through Christ Jesus, and God has given clear revelation through the gospel. He has remembered His steadfast love and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of of our God. And the author of Psalm doesn't even understand, doesn't even see that the best is yet to come. Even though God has revealed Himself in this way, man, it gets so much sweeter. But through Scripture, God has given a covenant, a constant reminder of this covenant. This covenant consists of, in Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 12, where he is speaking to Abraham, I will make a great nation. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those that curse you. And in this, all families of the earth will be blessed. This, all families of the earth is a preliminary pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of this covenant. I believe that the author of Psalm had in mind Isaiah 52.10 that says, The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Then another commandment is given. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth in joyous song and sing praises, sing the Lord to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and a melody and with a horn and make a joyful noise, it says. Now the question is, why make a joyful noise? So if we're following Psalm 98, why make a joyful noise to the Lord? Why? In a way uh, that is set up almost again like a catechism. Why make a joyful noise to the Lord? Whereas or why? Because He has done great things and has made His salvation known. See, Christmas isn't about Black Friday deals. 
It isn't about camping out in front of a department store to get a flat screen TV. It isn't about trampling your neighbors for the next game console. It isn't about Christmas trees. It isn't about eggnog or the Yule log. It's not about decorations. It isn't even, it's not even about coercing a greeter at the door to say Merry Christmas. Why on earth would I want someone who does not believe in Jesus to utter the words Merry Christmas if they don't believe it? If that's the case, then we are no better than any other world religion that tries to make people believe by coercion. You might say there's a war on Christmas. No, there's a war on Christ. And it's not just in December, by the way. I will submit to you, this should be a Christ-centered holiday. There's nothing wrong with the Christmas tree, those things you see, the greenery, and you know, it's pretty in here, amen? There's nothing wrong with those things, but this is a Christ-centered holiday. The joy of the holiday isn't about getting gifts or presents. It's about salvation being brought to earth by God Himself, and that moves us to make a joyful noise to the Lord. People often say, I can't sing, but I can make a joyful noise. But you do know here that the author of this psalm has separated the two. Even though they are in some way saying the same thing, they are separated. Singing and offering praise with instrumentation. He has separated the two on purpose. Singing and playing instruments for worship is separated because it is the position of the heart in worship. So singing and playing music go hand in hand. Now listen, I would rather have somebody sold out to Jesus who is not really good on the keys or the piano, who might miss a note. I would rather have that person worshiping God than I would a, a person who can just tear the keys up and are as lost as a goose. So singing and playing go hand in hand. See, I like this phrase. I like this phrase, breaking forth into joyous song and sing praises. It means to shout out for joy as if the joy could no longer be contained or suppressed. It's this bursting out. I think of this in, in the song, In Christ Alone. Every time, without fail, in chapel at Southeastern, they would get to this part and, and breaking forth in glorious day. When Christ would rise out of the grave, without fail, the chapel would be erupt in praise because, hey, I know my Jesus lives. And we would see hands raised and people standing and clapping because it is the position of the heart. Breaking forth into joyous praise, it means to shout out for joy as if the joy could no longer be contained or suppressed. When was the last time we sang or worshipped like that? So not only 
praise the Lord with singing, but with stringed instruments and brass instruments. And, and even though there might not be a catalog of instruments here, I would go as far as to say with the guitar, with the bass, with the, with the drums, with the violin, with the saxophone, with whatever God has blessed you with to use. But not only do we sing a joyful song to the Lord as a collective order, the created order, giving praise to God, but creation lends a praise too. Let the sea roar and all that fill it and the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for the joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Creation sings the Father's song. In fact, Romans tells us, chapter 1, of those who have denied the Creator, that the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. So we have no excuse. And if you were to lay out this psalm next to the voice of Mary in the Gospel account, in what we call the Magnificat of Mary, if we were to lay out Psalm 98, I believe we find some striking similarities. It's almost as if Mary had in mind Psalm 98. Maybe if we laid it out in a responsive read of sorts, where the psalm writer would say, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. And Mary would echo, well, my soul doth magnify the Lord. The psalm writer would then say, well, he hath done marvelous things. And Mary would reply, he that is mighty hath done great things. The author of Psalm 98 would then say, with his own right hand and his holy arm, Hath he begotten himself the victory? And Mary would say, Well, he hath showed strength with his arm and scattered the proud in indignation of their hearts. David would say, The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed. The echo in response, Mary would say, His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. And lastly, reflecting on the depth of God's mercy, the author of Psalm 98 would say, He hath remembered His mercy and His truth towards the house of Israel. In that, Mary would reply, he hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. The parallels are striking here. It's almost as if Mary had laid out or had Psalm 98 in mind as she says, My soul magnify the Lord. How far is the curse found? It has touched every facet of life. That is why we learn, yearn and long for the day of reconciliation. When the Bible tells us in the book of the Revelation, chapter 21, verses 4 through 5, where
The Lord says that he will wipe away all tears of sorrow. There will be no sadness. Behold, all things have become new. That's why we long for the day when the curse will be no more. That's why we long for the day when we will not have to sit beside a, the bed of someone who has cancer or someone who is the end of their life. We know not many days from here they will slip into eternity. We long for those days. We look for those days. Far as the curse is found. Listen. It is found as far as the east is to the west. But so is salvation. He has forgiven our sins as far as the east is from the west. And they have been all together thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. Never to be remembered against us again. No more let sins and sorrows grow. No thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. For as the curse is found. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Reminding us. That as far as the curse stretches, God, your salvation stretches further. For those who do not know you today, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be, begin or has begun working, drawing them unto yourself. God, you're the author, the finisher of salvation. So, Father, we're just trying to be faithful to your word and you do the work, God. It's yours. We know that. The one here today who doesn't know if they're in Christ, I pray today that they would... Be drawn to you. For those who might be struggling or working through something, some difficulty, God, I pray that you would resurrect, you would reignite, you would rekindle the joy that we once had, remembering the time when we first become believers and the joy that we had in Jesus. And somehow over the years we began, we, we began to be stagnated and stale and we've lost that joy. I pray, God, something said today will begin to rekindle that fire that joy. Father, we love you. We thank you. We give this time to you as we approach the communion table to reflect upon your sacrifice. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. If the deacons can come at this time to begin the administering of the elements of the Lord's Supper. You know, Jesus gave the commandment of communion so that we would not forget.